Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Long Talk here on New Zealand Sports Radio. Um, and we're in for a treat today because we're going to have someone that has been behind a whole bunch, behind the scenes for a whole bunch of sporting successes for New Zealand over the last uh, 18 years or so. Um, and someone, so somebody you may not know or recognise, even though he has been there in the background. Unfortunately, that's not what we've got him on here to talk about today, though, because he's got a new project, which we'll talk about. Um, but we'll, we'll skim through those bits to start off with. Um, Jamie Tout, uh, thank, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Paul. It's a pleasure. So, Sports Performance Director at uh, the uh, New Zealand Campus of Innovation and Sport is your current title. But what's your first sporting memory, be it playing or watching? Whoa, that's a that's a good one. Mate, I, I, look, I, I started off uh, playing across a whole wide range of sports and probably my fondest memories as a kid was uh, barefoot running down the, the club athletics track every Friday night. Um, there's one thing you get to the end of the, end of the school week and... As much as you're excited that school had finished, you're probably more excited that uh, it was athletics night. And uh, I know my dad particularly was um, was right into his athletics, and I always took a lot of pride sort of uh, trying to knock off his his local records as we're going through the through the system. Um, but yeah, I think back back then, uh, playing a lot of tennis, a lot of cricket, a lot of rugby league back in Australia, particularly. Um, and I, I coached and played a lot of tennis, and I think. If there was eight days in a week, I would have been playing sport eight days a week. But as, as it was, it was seven days a week, pretty much. So did you, um, when you talk about trying to get, uh, not knock off your dad's um, local records and things, did you get to, did, 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 you, did you sort of represent your state or, 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 or did you get any sort of level of, level of sporting achievement? Yeah, look, over, over in Australia, it's a little bit different. So we have uh, provinces uh, not dissimilar. So I was uh, a good provincial uh, athlete. But uh, I probably had more success in cricket and tennis, to be fair. Um, but, yeah, I, I did manage to knock off the old man's 1,500-metre record. And I, if you ask me what it was, I can't tell you. I just know that I beat his time. But, um, yeah, more, more success in tennis and cricket was probably my gig at that stage. Um, and I see you took uh, – um, you, you went through and got yourself a physical education um, bachelor, bachelor and then um, – and then there's a big gap in your um, – in your in your LinkedIn profile of about a decade before we see you <laughs> arrive at the Pulse. So, what were you, um, international drug dealer or um, uh, international playboy? What, what what were you up to for for that there kind of was decade? An, there was an international component to that. So, uh, look, I, the week before I started university at the Australian College of Phys Ed, I wasn't actually set in stone what I was going to be studying, and it was a phone call. I think on a on a Tuesday. Uh, and I know it was sort of earlier in the week because by the weekend I was down doing an interview with the college and they, they'd seen my phys ed grades and they said, look, um, not sure if you've considered your options, but we'd be keen to say hello, say good day." So, yeah, that, that weekend went down to the Australian College of Physical Education in Homebush, which was exciting at the time because it was when a lot of the Olympic facilities were, were getting built and uh, went through the interview process, the, the fitness testing and the like, and, and it was only, like I say, within the course of a week that I decided that I was going there. And a couple of weeks later, I was moving into a <laughs> into some accommodation. Um, 
as I was going through, I knew I wanted to be in sport, but wasn't that clear necessarily on what path I was going to take, whether that was in uh, biomechanics, sports science uh, as a coach. And so I thought a, a broad stream was education. So I settled into a phys ed degree, and it was probably, um, in hindsight, one of the best, better decisions I've made in the sense that uh, it not only gave me the ability to understand the, the human body and, and what goes with it, but also the ability to convey the knowledge. And I think um, I wasn't getting too wrapped up purely in the textbook, but also as a practitioner. And one thing that the college offered me that was quite unique is the ability to go out and gain coaching certifications and be in front of students and teach all the way through the um, through the program, which was great. So it was in 1994 that program started. And then in 1998, 97 maybe, 97, I had to do a, a placement. And uh, of all things, I at, at high school, we had a, a guy come and study at our high school up in Scone, New South Wales, that's in northern New South Wales, who was from New Zealand. And he and I got on really well. And I said, mate, look, if I, if I ever do some overseas travel, I'll come by you first. So I applied for some New Zealand schools to come over and do a teaching section and was lucky enough to end up at Rathkill College in the Wairapa. And I got there dialed this guy's phone number, and he lived in Masterton. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that worked out pretty well. Um, and then in 2000, it was time that I, I moved out and followed what I uh, had thought was going to be my, my career path, which was as a strength and conditioning coach, and started out in Wellington with about 80% uh, of my clients were sort of uh, Joe Average or um, Weekend Warriors, and there was a very small proportion, I'm talking sort of, 10, 15% were probably semi-professional, professional athletes of some description. Uh, and it was, that became another juncture. And that, the juncture was, what do I do next in terms of specialisation? And I took up um, speed and agility training was where I started to specialise. Over the course of the next three, four years, uh, my client base turned around and ended up that I was working with about 15 to 20% of Joe Average and Weekend Warriors and moving more into that, sort of, that semi-professional area. And that was all going really well. And uh, so, 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 so you, you, you're zooming through your life. We have a full hour note, so we, we, we can slow down a little bit here. The, um, but uh, it gets, so that, it gets that, more that, interesting. That that, that, that teaching piece um, that you're that you're talking about. A lot of coaches, um, especially in the amateur era, were were, were teachers. Um, and as you say, learning that different communication styles for different different types of people was was a good yeah. grounding there. Um, how important is that for um, for, for, for coaches and, uh, and, and is, is that kind of missing from some of the, say, the New Zealand Rugby Union or, or, or your, your coaching certificates in your different places? Do they think about that piece or is it, is it more about technical piece? Oh, look, I think the New Zealand Rugby is a great example, actually, where there's a, there's a lot of emphasis on character, uh, whether it's as a coach or in, in a selection process. There's a, there's a large piece of uh, understanding people and what type of, what type of qualities that, that you've got. So I think um, Mike Cron was a good one. The, the scrum doctor at the All Blacks uh, always talks about what sort of stock you have on your farm and, uh, and understanding, the, understanding the athlete first. So he, he's, a, he's a really good guy in, in doing that and um, got a great way of connecting with people. And I think uh, unless you get that buy-in and connection with athletes, then it's, it's a very, really, really hard slog. So it's just finding those ways in which you can have um, different conversations in um, better ways and how people want to be communicated with and whether it's through technology or infographics or just face-to-face -face comms, it's, it's still people first. Um, and that, that is your most important resource. Like I'm, I'm involved in a tech company and I, as much as I, I love technology and people know that I love a gadget, um, it still comes down to those relationships um, and having, having good dialogue. So collecting data is one thing and having information, but producing insights that, that can talk about people's character is another and I guess there's, there's two sides to it. One, one is part of that, as you say, about getting the, 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 the communication in a way that they like to receive information or they're comfortable uh, and getting information across. But the other one is also different people are motivated in different ways. So some 100%. people, if you tell somebody yeah. you can't do it, they will run through brick walls until they can. There are other people who like to be, who, who, who respond better if they're told how good they are and you build up their confidence um, as well. So it's not just purely about do I use an infographic or an audio 
um, style, is it? It's also a matter of how you, which buttons you press to get people to to to, to train the best. Yeah, very much so. And I and I think um, even in our latest experiences through COVID, we saw uh, some some hurdles or some challenges that actually enabled some of those other different communication mediums to actually be quite effective. And whether that was through digital reporting of uh, wellness applications on people's phones, letting you know how they felt and, and triggering a, another conversation, or whether that's just through that that connection like we use with Skype and Zoom and the like. So, yeah, definitely very relevant. And I think um, myself being involved across both men's and women's sports, there, there is some differences. Um, as you say about running through walls, sometimes uh, some athletes would like to be told to run through the wall and they'll do it. And other athletes like to know, well, why do I run through the wall? There's not a better way. Uh, why, don't I, why don't I try and get over it or run around it or do I get a ladder? Um, the level of detail through those conversations, it's going to vary. And some athletes like the detail and athletes don't. And, and coaches are the same. Yeah, I think the, the, the best example I've heard of this is when Eddie Jones um, took over England's job. Um, he uh, put his arm around players um, like um, Mako Vinopola um, and explained to them, hey, look, I want you to play like a Tongan and uh, embracing their culture. And then um, James Haskell, he would give him a mystery shake each morning, uh, protein shake, um, telling yeah, him, right. this is what will get you going. Um, I, and, uh, and that different form of, of, of communication where James Haskell, a guy very much into his fitness and, and, and his supplements, um, whereas the Mako and um, Vinopola, someone who likes to be part of the family, uh, and seeing how he he took those different communication approaches straight away was I, I, I found was was, was really um, interesting. Yeah, um, it's finding connections, and I think um, Graham Lowe, who was the ex All Blacks trainer and or SNC, and then he moved on to BMW Oracle Sailing, and he's uh, he's been with the Western Bulldogs in in the AFL. He's had some really unique experiences, and he talked about that connection as well recently on a on a call that we were on and. He talked about uh, the great Jonah Lomu. How did he make his connection with Jonah? And it was, it was actually around cars. It was uh, Jonah was a big car fanatic, and and Lowy, well, he only had one car, and I think Lowy said his car didn't really hold a candle to, to Jonah's cars, but uh, that was their connection, and 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 it enabled uh, other conversations. So, yeah, know, know the athlete, know the person, and and just for me, it's a constant learning. Like there's um there's a lot of different ways to the skin the cat, so to speak, and there's there's multiple opportunities to try and, and uh, take different approaches. And also, I guess, another area that, um, and we are diving down a rabbit hole here, but uh, but it's fun, um, that's, that I think people don't get is, as a sports um, supporter, you look at things and think, oh, I'd just love to do that, um, I love sport. Not all professional athletes actually enjoy the sport they play. They just happen to be good at it. Very good at it. <laughs> yeah, very good at it. Um, and some yeah. of them actually have their interests lie elsewhere. Uh, I remember a story of, uh, of an All Black who was at a party and they, they were having a chat in the kitchen. They just talked movies all night because he just didn't actually he didn't actually really enjoy rugby. He just happened to be very good at it. Um, mm. Have you found that as well for amongst the amongst athletes that you have to that sometimes talking about the sport in the downtime is, is actually detrimental and actually talking about something else is more important? Yeah, look, you've got your your, your rugby almanacs and cricket almanac athletes out there that, that do love just to talk stats and code as, as long as you as long as you can, but. You've also got athletes who like to be able to hit a switch and tune out. Um, and by default, like the, the conversation will eventuate that it, it, it goes back to rugby in one shape or form because that's where we make our connections, whether it's on the grass of a club rugby game in your gun boots or you're sitting at Westpac Stadium, you're sort of, by default, you're mixing those circles. Uh, what's really cool these days is there's a lot of people out there and uh, the likes of a TJ Petanara would be an example. He's got his pull-up card business there now and um, that's, that's really cool to see how he's taken a passion of his and and start to develop a business interest. Uh, Stacey Waka, now Stacey Fuller, she's um, just written her first book. It's, it's just awesome to see that they're actually drawing on some of their experiences and enabling other opportunities outside of their games. Yep. And we should, getting back onto your opportunities then, um, the Pulse Netball was your first, uh, looks like your first sort of big um, professional team that you worked with uh, there down in um, down in Wellington. Is that, is that, is that safe to say? Yeah, actually, but probably one the step. Before that was um, so. Come to come to New Zealand. I st started moving more into that semi-professional athlete. I had some exposure with some uh, some rugby players. Uh, Petoni Rugby uh, was one of the first clubs I'd worked with, and Norse Rugby guys will hate me saying that because um, Norse is where my heart is. Uh, they're they're my club, so to speak, and I come across them later in the piece. But yeah, through Petoni, I got a couple of good um, 
uh, opportunities to work with their academy and some of their athletes. Um, some players that were out there at the time, the likes of uh, Tana Rumunga and uh, Daniel Ferrani and those sort of characters were coming through. Alex Talia, uh, re- really good guys to be around. And uh, I hadn't really travelled a lot extensively. I got to New Zealand and whilst I thought this was a transit point, I ended up staying. And so it was then that I uh, took off to the United Kingdom and had a good mate over there playing uh, rugby league for St Helens, uh, a guy called Darren Albert in the the UK Super League, and uh, moved in with him. And so with my skill set around speed and agility, uh, Albie and a few others connected me through a couple of the clubs, and I started running some speed agility sessions around St Helens, Bradford Bulls, uh, Salford Reds. And I picked up a gig with uh, an equipment company over there to – uh, around speed and agility training. So I was going in doing coaching sessions and using their equipment uh, from the north of England up through Scotland um, all the way up to Aberdeen, the top of, uh, top of Scotland. So that was pretty cool. And then uh, I had a, had a working visa and it was starting to come to a, its, its end. And I had a few months left and used my teaching credentials to go get a gig at Broadgreen uh, School in Liverpool, of all places. And that was a pretty unique experience. So I spoke English, but they spoke Scouser, and <laughs> I didn't understand a word they said for about three weeks and probably vice versa, but loved it. It was a, it was a really cool experience. And uh, a guy there, Tim Wright was his name, looked after me really well, a, a PE teacher. We had, we had a good old crack there, which was awesome. And so, um, again, with time left on the visa, um, wanted to do some skiing, headed across to France. Uh, ended up managing a little four-star ski chalet for for the ski season, which was I think December through end of March, something like that. Yep. And had mm-hmm. a had a brain fart um, that it would be a good idea to do a, a cycle tour. So I called my mum and said, "Mum, can you flick my bike, my push bike across to um, the Perth?" And she ended up getting it to Melbourne. And I flew into Melbourne, and I guess that the, the reason I felt committed to doing that tour is that. Uh, it come about through doing it for a charity, through the MS. Um, and we got so committed doing it for MS that we sort of had to commit to doing this cycle ride. And the idea was, the, the girl I was with at the time, I said, oh, well, if we're going to do it, why don't we do one from uh, one side of Aussie to another? And being a Kiwi, she said, yeah, that, that sounds great. Not understanding it was about 5,000 kilometres across. But we committed because we'd set it and we dived in, did it for the charity. So got to Melbourne, flew across to Perth, all the way across, thinking, shit, this is a long way. Um, put the bike together in Perth after not having ridden the bike for about 12 months since being in the UK. Ooh. Jumped on uh, 35 kilometres down the road, thought this is not really a good idea. Set the campsite up for the night. Uh, woke up pretty sore. Uh, but then over the course of the next 10 weeks, uh, rode my way into fitness. <laughs> and, uh, and cycled from uh, Perth down through uh, the Nullarbor Plain, across the Nullarbor, through Adelaide, Melbourne, uh, back up to Sydney, and then through to the Hunter Valley, where mum and dad still live. Um, got you, back on a plane, uh, do, had a lot of time do, to think on that cycle tour. Things do, don't go too quickly. Do, you do you, do you, you do realise that there is actually a race across Australia that you can that you can take part in now that does that? Yeah, there's also a plane, I've, I've been told. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, I think actually the record for that, uh, back in the day, was it Opie? It's Hubert, Hubert Opperman, I think he was his name. He was one of the first guys to ride across Australia, and it's, it's a great book. Um, I, I wish I remember, I think it was Hubert Opperman, and uh, yeah, he was quite a famous cyclist back in the day. And he was he had the record for a long time, and it's astronomical what those guys and girls can do cycling across, it's, it's impressive. But I wasn't one of them, I think I took nine days on the bike and two days off was sort of my, my theory. Uh, two days, two days on a beach somewhere. Um, because yeah, so got back to that whole endurance yeah. cycling is, is 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 a is a booming sport at the moment. I mean, there's there's the trans uh, there's transcontinental in Europe. There's across across America, and uh, there's a whole bunch of them that you can that you can do. Oh, so okay, so it's another scene you got into. I was, I was wondering if it was a scene you you've got because those guys, yeah, they well they they cycle pretty much twenty hours a day um, for like right. a week and then and, and finish it. So yeah, um, but no, that's not not your thing. <laughs> No, it's not, mate. Look, I think the biggest day we did was uh, just just this side of the 200Ks. And it's a big day when you're carrying all your own kit, your own water, your own food, your tent, and you're still going to get to the other end of the day and cook a meal on a campfire and set up a tent. They're reasonably long days, but, yeah, it's something you'll never forget and pretty rewarding. Um, 
And look, I, I do want to finish it. I do want to go around the other other side of Australia, up through Brisbane, Townsville, Cairns, back down, but it won't be in the immediate future. <laughs> yeah. So lots lots of thinking, and you headed back to New Zealand. Yep, back to New Zealand, and our, our lady Desley Rattle, uh, New Zealand Academy of Sport. That was it back back then, or Academy of Sport Central. Um, she gave me a, a bit of a leg up as well, getting back into a high performance sport. So I held a, a contract with them across some of their national programs, uh, working across uh, the White Sox, the Black Sox, um, some sailing programs. Uh, ended up getting a, a gig with uh, the Pulse at the time and, and the Wellington Firebirds. So I was sort of juggling a lot of different balls in the air. And that sort of uh, took me through to around 2008. And, and to be quite honest, it sort of just got to that point where I had lots of different reporting lines. Um, it, the admin was the most difficult part rather than actually the contact in front of athletes. And I loved being part of the Pulse. It was a, that was a super cool experience. Um, some of the, the coaches I met then, I still stay in touch with and likewise at the Firebirds. But uh, in 2008, I fortuitously come across uh, the next stage or next chapter was Richard Snow. So Richard, uh, at that point, was establishing a company called VX Sport. And that was uh, athlete monitoring systems whereby uh, the now, athlete can wear a little I, box I, in their bag. Are we going to come back to the softball? Because, I mean, the softball is one I actually want to dive into. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I go back to softball in 2010 or 11 for memory, so we can go back there. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, Richard, Richard was a long way down the track uh, exploring the idea anyway. And so he brought me on board and VX Sport had its first product on the shelf around 2008 and uh, the All Blacks and New Zealand Rugby were one of the first uh, to get on board with that. And we had some global competition, but we cut a bit of our own our own path. And that, that company still goes today. We've got um, a few hundred teams around the world. And in the last five years, six years, uh, majority of our business is starting to turn towards U.S. colleges. Um, a, lot, a lot of work over there in, in U.S. college soccer or football. Well, soccer over there, football different again. Um, hockey, lacrosse, and so that was uh, that was up and running in two thousand and eight. Uh, and at the same time, I because of those different challenges around the, the comms, I thought, look, I, I actually want to take a bit of a break from being day to day with teams. And so I went down and uh, set up a, a little company in Christchurch with Glenn Jenkins called Accelerate, and we'd had so, programs running and, for a number and, and of years. You, and you spell that X L R eight, not the one, not not the other way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the one. And I, we'd already written programs and courses, and we had he had he had his product range, his gear line, his sports equipment. But my focus was really on training and education. So we put those courses online, we digitised those, and, and they still run today. People can log on and, and uh, do a speed agility course online, and that was going pretty well. And um, next minute, earthquakes hit. So we went through the earthquakes, my, uh, my wife and I, um, and decided look, we haven't actually got any real close family or friends down here. Uh, we're living over in Sumner, and we moved to Sumner because it was a, a great little beach town, town village, and some of the things that we moved there for were no longer there. Um, so we thought we'd, we'd move back, and luckily over the course of that time, I was able to retain my work with the Academy of Sports Central, which had then maybe become the New Zealand um, uh, high-performance sport in New Zealand. It was around a similar time, I think. Uh, and I was still working with softball, so the Black Sox uh, with Eddie Colassi, Um and Eddie, yeah, great fella. Yeah, really enjoy Eddie. Um, he's a guy that I, I try and work alongside coaches that um, uh, I guess have a similar similar mindset. And guys like Eddie Kalas is one of those. Um, Eddie Ellison at Norse Rugby would be another. Uh, very lucky to come across Eddie through his son, Tamadi, and work with Norse for a long period of time. And, and to be honest, uh those experiences with, with Norse rugby and with the Black Sox uh, uh, led to a lot of the things I'm, I'm still doing now. Now, a lot of us think of the All Blacks being the most successful team here in New Zealand. Um, arguably, the Blackfern Sevens are more successful, but the the softball team really do have got, have got to rival them, haven't they? I mean, we're talking about a team here that's won the World Championships in, 90, in 76, 84, 96, 2000, 2004, 2013, 2017. Seven times world champions. Um, that must have been an amazing environment to go into, one that people really don't don't know much about, and yet is yeah, perhaps our best kept secret. Uh, what's it? Yeah, look, I think it's it's a great example of where um, 
And I'll throw another name out there, Glenn Moore, who's with the Black Ferns 15s now, and another coach I relate to really well. But Glenn talks about professionalism is not about money, it's about attitude. And I think Blacks, the Black Sox at that point in time was indicative of that. And you had a legacy that had been left by Don Tricker. And we know how good Don is uh, about bringing people together and understanding people. And he's got such a diverse background, Don, now. He's over in San Diego with the Padres. But he, he, he's been through New Zealand rugby. He was with the Black Sox and extremely successful. And um, he would instill that same, those, that, those same core values, I'm sure. And that is the fact that the guys were – a lot of them had um, families working full-time and then still having to train. And trying to bring that professional attitude to training and to the game um, and having that switch that they could they could turn on and off to, to switch in between modes of what what was family, what was work, what was what was softball. And uh, there's been a, a lot of players in softball that have managed to play for a long period of time. And I think that says something about the Black Sox as well, as you've got guys involved, uh, Nathan Nookanooka and those sort of fellas that just never wanted to leave, probably. <laughs> um, and they they stay in the team and they create culture and legacy through um, coherence. And it's the fact they play with each other a lot. They understand how each other um, plays the game. They understand them as a person as well. And I think that's what part of what the Black Sox is. It is a family. And I guess, yeah, that, that, that's was some of the, one of the really attractive things about wanting to be involved with them. Yep. And you use a word there that's, uh, that, I, that you hear from Ben Darwin and his partners at uh, Gainline Analytics, that coherence piece. Is uh, can be very yeah is 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 very strong so yeah definitely um, so uh, yeah an, an area that I would like to talk to more people about because I think it is a fascinating piece but yeah great that you had had that opportunity going back to the VX Sport things you just touched on this what we're talking about here is basic systems that have got like heart rate monitors GPS um, that kind of piece isn't it to to so that um, uh, on that performance piece so you're when I go down to watch um, the Mulus here train and they set up this funny series of uh, antennae by the side of the pitch and hand out these boxes to everyone that they slide into their funny mambras that they're wearing. Um, that's that's the it's kind of bro. thing you guy. Sorry? It's a bro, not a mambra. A bro, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Those are the kind of systems that you guys have been pioneering, isn't it? Isn't it? It's basically. Yeah, that's right. So uh, inside those little boxes, the technology that's inside them has, has, has grown as well. And these days we've got um, accelerometers measuring force. You've got magnetometers for earth magnetic field. You've got gyroscopes for rotation. You've got GPS for speed and distance. You've got and you've got heart rate. So across those technologies, you're looking at about one million data points uh, every 90 minutes per athlete, and you've got about 350 odd or more uh, metrics you can choose from, or metric columns you can choose from. They're all variations of different things, um, whether it's uh, number of sprints the athlete does, high speed running, um, heart rate variability, um, impacts, uh, jumps. There's, there's a there's a whole array of things you can pick depending on the team you're working with, uh, the experience of that team, and, and so on. So that that technology now has been applied across multiple different things. Like we've we've done work with um, horse racing, we've done work with uh, Quicksilver and and uh, Kelly Slater's crowd was uh, was a pretty awesome experience. We've done events for Red Bull with downhill mountain biking. And then you've got all your mainstream uh, sports, so to speak, like your rugby and your soccer and your hockey that we continue to work with. And each of them have their own little flavour around how they want to use information. And it's um, it's often not the not just the information, it's all the, all, the, all the ingredients in your cake, it's how you bake the cake. So it's it's trying to get good, clean data, understand what variables or what, what should the ingredients look like, and then... How do we use those ingredients to produce a great product? And we're talking about here, as you say, uh, a training session could go for, well, we'll take 90 minutes because that's, that, that's that's the, in a 90-minute training session, a squad of 30, you've got 300 million um, or 30 million, yeah, no, 300 million, million. Da data points. Um, are we getting to the stage now where coaches, I mean, we, 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 there's, one of the issues I talk about in industry is basically overload of information, making it harder to make decisions. Are we getting to that sort of stage with coaches as well? That they that uh, and actually half the job of the of the analysts now is is choosing which bits of data rather than uh, actual relevance and rather than just sort of capturing data. Yeah, I think you're right, Paul. I like to think we're starting to move past that. And you're right. Uh, with the advent of technology, we went through that paralysis analysis stage, um, and there was just an influx of data. We sometimes were good at digesting, and other times we got indigestion. 
So it was sort of like uh, trying to work out means in which we could find the, the critical. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Variables, and I'll, I'll use a, like a phrase that Nick Gill, the All Blacks SNC, uses about how do you win more games on Saturday. And so it's trying to understand which of those variables is critical to performance. Um, of the 350-plus metrics that are available, I'm only looking at probably five of those metrics uh, in a live session. And even afterwards, those five metrics, the same five I present back to the coaches to give them some insights. And if there's a trigger within that information that I think I might want to look at myself or the medical staff later on, then I dig down. And it might only still be 12 out of those 350-plus things that we look at. But even when those five things are now presented to us, we're, we're getting into a... Um, a terminology now that we can say, look, that session was 110% of a game or that was 70% of a game. And it's that single digit number that doesn't tell you everything, but it starts the conversation, goes back to what we started off with about having those conversations with people so we're, we're on the same page, not just presenting lots and lots of data or pretty pictures. The, the, the truth is somewhere in between. It's the gut instinct, it's the, the black and white data, and then there's a the conversation that happens in here. Well, I think we're getting better. Have we got to the stage yet where we're using AI um, to sift through the big data and go, you know what, these these 10 players, we've had 10 injuries this season, actually, according to the AI, sifted through the X billion data points we've had for the for pre-season and gone, those 10 guys all did this or all re- recorded this, but none of the, no one else did. Is that a trigger for, 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 for injury? Are, are we, have we got to that stage yet? Yep, so that... Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, Darwin before, Ben Darwin, because he, he, they are doing some really good stuff in that space. And um, there's local companies here in New Zealand as well, like Dot Labs Data, uh, Jason Wells and his lads there that are looking for those cohesive relationships between data sets, whether it's the weather conditions, is it home and away games, is it the physical metrics coming off those units, uh, is it the age of the, the athlete, um, how, much, how much athletes have played together. Um, the AI aspect of that, to a point, exist in a lot of technologies that the technologies are learning and evolving not necessarily automatically but they are evolving and the next stage of that is how do they um they self-learn as you say through ai and then they scan through that data looking for those triggers and we we love to think there's a golden bullet we can grab hold of and it's going to ensure that no athlete ever gets injured but it's just not the reality um there's so many other variables out there that we 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 take care in trying to manipulate i won't say control but uh we're trying to just load pull and push as we can we're trying to reduce the risk but it's still going to exist and if anyone could come up with a formula to know exactly on what day what athlete was going to perform and who was going to win then we wouldn't be sitting here you and i are talking about this very true very true and uh, that motivation thing is a big thing and at the moment we uh we, we don't have the sensors in the brain to figure out who is motivated and who's not or or the hormone tracking to decide which person is motivated and who isn't and knowing so yes, there, there are still a lot of variables that we that we don't measure. Yeah, now, yeah, absolutely. You've got a chunk of you've got twelve years with New Zealand rugby that I'm just going to jump straight over, unfortunately, um, because I'm I'm already running out of time. I would love to go back to that, but I guess one of the things I've seen through most of this is that, and actually the, the New Zealand rugby is going to, going to be a bit different. Is you started out as an individual sports person, as you said, playing like athlete uh, athletics, um, tennis. A bit of rugby league, so a bit, a bit of team thing, but a lot of individual sports, and yet most of your work appears to have been with teams rather than individuals, which I think has been an interesting um, change. You, you did mention that on the tech side, you're doing some work with with individuals, but generally it's been teams, hasn't it? Is, is that just a matter of what opportunities are there, or just you, you prefer working with teams? Uh, 
Oh, it's a bit of self-evolution as well, probably. Um, I would say when I was a young sports person, I, I was pretty pig-headed and, and quite liked to be in charge of my own race. Um, and then I through through my involvement with teams, and that was a lot of it was cricket and rugby league, but cricket particularly. Uh, yeah, I love the team atmosphere, and I love learning more about the team in itself. And when I come to New Zealand, quite frankly, uh, after coming from rugby league background, rugby league was a dirty word, and by default, I moved into rugby union. Um, and a couple of couple of critical moments happened within rugby union where uh, guys like Graham Lowe did give me a a, a gig with the ABs. Um, doing some of their regional speed and agility sessions back when he was involved, which was a, was a great league up. Uh, the guys like Tamadi and Ellison, I mentioned, uh, I was doing some one-on-one stuff with him that come about through an uh, article he'd seen in the paper about me. And Tamadi was always looking for be, to be proactive and he got me involved. And I got, got working alongside Eddie Ellison with the Norse boys and had great success there. We had a, a pretty unstoppable club for a period of time when you've got Jerry Collins and Robbie Fruin and TJ Pedernar and, uh, Tamadi and his brothers, Jacob and Leon, and all those boys were at the club. It was a, it was a pretty healthy, strong club. Um, and then probably I stayed in rugby as a result of a guy called uh, Richard Scully, who I was in Dubai doing a speed agility course coaching, and I, he called me one night at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. i just landed, jet-lagged, picked up the phone. Skulls, what's up? Uh, JT, I'm looking for a recommendation or some ideas around who might take on a SNC role with the Black Ferns. I said, no, I'll be keen. He goes, no, I'm not asking you to do it. I'm actually, I said, no, I'm, I'm into it. So that was in, um, that was in 2013 and uh, I'm still with them today. But that, that team, uh, the sense of team I've got with them and Norse, Norse is the other one. So going from Norse to the Black Ferns, there were some really similar traits. It was, a, it was about uh, more than being, um, for lack of a better word, it was, it was more than money. It, the money was not the inspiration. The money, uh, the, the family was the inspiration. The sea change, uh, the, the environment that Norse created through guys like Eddie and, and that, that group of players, you could see it influence in the community. You could see it influence in the way they played. Um, and the Blackburns were the same. You walk in there and you could see that uh, that team, the way they connect with people outside of rugby and people they're inspiring is, is something that's it's, it's stayed with me. And it was, a, it was the reason I wanted to be involved. And then probably since 2017 when they won the World Cup, that, that's a great game to go and re-watch if no one's watched uh, a game of women's rugby or what wants to watch. But that was a real pinnacle shift because uh, it coincided around the same shift we're seeing in the Olympic Sevens. So those two things combined saw women's rugby start to really take off, which I'm pretty excited about. Yes, and another time, because I'm, I say I'm already running out of time, that I'd, I'd love to sit down uh, and... and um... Uh, talk with you about how they're going to h- how strength and conditioning is going to work when you've got the Farrah Palmer Cup running through this year. You then have basically six months of no elite rugby and running into the Rugby World Cup. At the moment, there's only going to be club rugby in there. Um, so yeah, that's going to be an interesting battle for you. Um, but I say don't have time to talk about that now, unfortunately. Another one that the fascinating one here for me is that um, working with the ref- referees again, yep. a bunch a bunch of guys who. Uh, we we can't we can't survive without, um, but are the solo men in a in a in a team sport probably having to train on their own midweek uh, and all that kind of thing and how they keep stay motivated um, being perhaps sometimes seen as the enemy the, the whole time as well. So again, another topic I'd love to dive into, but we've got to talk about um, your, your your current project, which is down there in Wellington, which is this um, campus of innovation and sport. Um, that you've got down there, um, which is great. Are you taking a, um, a, a, a campus that hasn't been used for 14 years? Um, and uh, t- um, so, how, again, how did the idea come about to have this, uh, to, to, to have this campus? Um, and uh, how do you go about buying, well, several acres and... Um, uh, 18. Well, a- 18 acres <laughs> and, um, and what looks like about 10 or so buildings um so yeah. you're coming like a, a property magnet overnight <laughs> no look I, I'll, I'll pass a property magnate title on to malcolm gillies who's uh the, my business partner and the owner of the campus uh malcolm is a upper heart stalwart um sport tragic uh extremely motivated guy who i've created a real connection with and very excited about what we're going to do down here and 
Uh, it actually has been laying dormant for longer than that. It was in 2001, roughly, that um, it was a polytech that shut down overnight and uh, a series of them merged together. So it was in sort of uh, around that 2014-15 period that Malcolm and his partner, uh, Kevin Melville, uh, purchased the campus. And this discussion started around what it might become. And it was, I'm sure everyone has their own theory on it, but um, it could have been residential real estate. It could have been a conference venue. It could have been hotels. It could have been anything you like. But um, Malcolm, to this day, uh, and I truly believe it's the right thing to do to put this into a sports campus and I think it's only been highlighted more so what our strategy is and our theory is around how this campus is going to operate through COVID and what we're seeing in the sports environment currently. And in simple terms, what that means is we believe uh, the teams they do operating more in a, in a club structure together. So that the likes of the Phoenix, Wellington Lions um, and New Zealand Baseball, our foundation members, that they will work, collaborate and share certain things Um uh, that means we're, we're building a 1,000-square-metre gym, which none of the clubs could do individually, but when you build it at a scale that three of them can use and have exclusivity over for periods of time, then it works. Uh, having dedicated covering facilities, having uh, dedicated video analysis rooms are all things that are nice to have if you had the, the money and the resource, but ex- exclusively or individually, they couldn't do it. So... This idea Malcolm had uh, started off with a garden shed and it quickly morphed <laughs> into something that's, uh, that's quite different. And uh, we've, we've not gone without our hurdles and challenges, but we've had some really uh, proactive and understanding partners through the journey. And it was only about three weeks into COVID that we had our overseas funding, $30 million, pulled out of the project. So as we walked off the site at the start of COVID, we were nimble enough to start looking at other opportunities or how we keep this thing going. And we're hoping for some good news uh, regarding the Shovel Ready program the government uh, announced uh, to get this thing back on, online. And one way or the other, it's going to happen. So we're going to make this thing happen that we want it to be a, a place where not only is it about high-performance sport, but we use the technology and the infrastructure to, to make a difference in the community, to make a difference in the business and education sector, uh, education particularly is a great conduit for sport and we think there's a lot of things that can be done that we can use as a vehicle um, that we can use in our our program as well to enable athletes or students that may learn in a different means how can we use sports data to teach math how can we use principles of the accelerometers coming off the the gps units or the vx units that we can use for teaching uh forces and contact and impacts and jumps that sort of thing so, mate, it's, it's hugely exciting. It's, it's, it's easily um, one of those things you'll only get a chance to do once. So, we've, so, we've spent a lot of time doing it. So, so obviously, so, so, what, so one side of it is being the home, being the, 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 the training home and the, the, the Monday to Friday home of three professional sports teams um, initially. Uh, well, actually, I'm not sure if baseball is professional, but uh, three high-performance yeah. sports teams um, yeah. initially. Uh, but it's more than just that. It's... Uh, how many more sports do you think you can take on? Um, or how, how, and, uh, and is it homing them both with hotels hotels, and, or is it just a kind of day, a nine to five kind of home? Yeah, we've got 350 uh, single rooms on the campus already, which is the old uh, student accommodation. So they've been renovated to a standard that's good for age group teams and, and short stays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are going to build a new 50, um, 50 square metre rooms uh, on site as well for an athlete village. So we can have professional teams, uh, the likes of the Blackburns, come and stay with us and, and other teams across the globe. And we're super uh, cognizant to the fact that there's a real need to act in a holistic way. So that's both in terms of mental health, that's both in terms of uh, opportunities outside of your game. Uh, so a proper academy structure will be, will be able to be facilitated because we've got accommodation and food on site and the diversity in our facility. So we're spending a lot of uh, emphasis on, on the recovery part of it. And that's come about through a survey we conducted across over 30 other venues around the globe, uh, the likes of Manchester United, uh, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, West Coast Eagles, Manly Sea Eagles. Uh, we, we looked at what they were doing in their facilities being world-class and we're really confident we'll stack up really well. But it come through as a theme that the part around recovery was a, was a big chunk of your puzzle. We're, we're really going to go hard at that. Um, but... An exciting partnership for us is one we've struck with NTT. It's uh, one of the world's biggest technology infrastructure companies. 
and the way in which they're looking at sport now uh, is super exciting for us. Like they're the guys that do the analytics you see on Tour de France, or the data is captured and they produce it. The analytics, that's them. Uh, what they're doing in the business world, commercial world, that can be applied to sport is something that we want to latch onto and learn from. So we've struck a partnership with those guys to try and come in, look at the technologies that are involved in sport. How do we bring them together? Um, can there be an application outside of the team itself? And we we believe in things like education that there will be. So you're looking at so we've we've got the the, the hosting of of the permanent home. We've got temporary homes. We've got what sounds to me like an R and D section um, uh, 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 as, as well. Um, with COVID uh, happening, we've also got these uh, situations where, for example, the um, Sal's MBL um, needed a needed a facility where they could play and um, kind of create a a bubble um, for for their teams. Have you? Is is, is obviously that's a that's a kind of a new idea. Um, but have, have, would there be scope for that for hosting games with without audiences if required and have uh, holding kind of a yeah putting a little dome over the top of the whole area as it were and uh, uh, kind of um, as as well or is that not is that, that I mean are we, are we too no too no soon? you're right you're on the right path mate without giving away too many trade secrets just <laughs> a second that's it's something that we are putting some time into and again that's where those guys at NTT are an, an enabler for us um, through the the video tracking, the smart tracking, the self-tracking technology that's out there now through the wearable devices and uh, those types of things, we can enable a different experience. And we're not thinking just mainstream. The likes of eSports has exploded. We're in good conversations with those guys around uh, how do we create eSports academies and give value to them coming down from the Northern Hemisphere and spending time with us. We, we don't intend on trying to want to take any business or compete with any business here locally. Um, therefore, we're not trying to take any, anything away from the stadium. In fact, Shane Harmon and the guys down there have been really supportive and, and we, we intend on hopefully being a benefit to them by having teams attracted to here to want to play at the stadium. Um, we see our venue as being something that can be used for pre-seasons and training and we want to try and leverage off the other, other great facilities around Wellington and New Zealand to try and make this a destination, uh, not just in terms of local sport, but a destination for sports tourism as well. And yeah, that, that's uh, the, the whole camera tracking piece um, is fantastic. You don't actually. Um, one, one of the big costs of televising is the outside broadcast units, um, which yeah. requires several vans, um, a team of twenty to thirty odd people, um, at, at least. Um, whereas actually nowadays, what you can do is you can put one camera on halfway. Um, you can use th- uh, technologies like Spork to have a remote commentary. Um, that means that it's in sync with the the videos yeah. and, and all of that kind of. Piece and yeah, you can, you you don't actually in theory you can have a a setup where someone just flicks a switch um, and no one else has to be there. Um, so Correct. Yeah, was... yeah, that's right. And I think there's uh, Grant Elliott, the ex uh, Black Cap. He's now general manager at a company called uh, MAR My Action Replay, and it's exactly that. Um, and their their scope is that they will set up a fixed camera. Uh, they've got the ability for mums and dads to use the application on their phone to code tries and scoring shots and things like that on their phones and and a scorecard that then gets overlaid into the broadcast or the, or the stream and i think what COVID has also done is shown people that or bringing brought some of those technologies or accelerated them further across the line so there's in some ways COVID's going to be friendly to us we've, we've gone out and thought about some new opportunities we hadn't maybe thought of because of it but in other ways there are some of these things we're talking about now uh the likes of the swift application for cycling and joining remote cycling training that we thought we would like to have been the first into the New Zealand market to try and do those sort of things that we won't be anymore but it's also given people an, uh, an attitude that hey these things are available and are okay to use so we're quite excited about uh, the fact that people are getting exposure to that sort of stuff now too yeah and it's amazing so so for those who don't know about Zwift um, it's uh, yeah in, indoor trainers with basically a TV screen in front of you pretending to ride um, someone like uh, Matt Heyman used that when coming back from injury and went on to win um, Paris-Roubaix, uh, for example. So uh, with, with, when he came back and had like only about two weeks on the road uh, and went straight on to win, to win a race. So it's, 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 it's really amazing now these kind of technologies. I mean, another one I've heard of in you know, the Extra Chiefs are using is a zero-gravity running machine. So if you, Alter-G, yep. Um, so if you've got a, a bust knee or a bust ankle, um, when you're coming back from surgery, you can uh, you can train on that to to keep yep. your fitness up. Um, yeah, so we'll have, we've got an Alter G on order for uh, the campus, and we've got a uh, underwater treadmill as well for different reasons. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, so that, that, those are the sort of things. And, and that's where uh, we're going to be partnering with uh, local tertiary institutions. And we want to be pretty agnostic. We, we, we are talking with the likes of AUT, Waikato, uh, Victoria, Massey, around how we could be uh, a satellite program for them to come and use some of the specialist technologies, equipment, um, experiences for their students, uh, come in and, and as an athlete also have the ability to study one of their programs while still playing professionally. So it's it's that type of thing, and the equipment you get you you gave there is a great example of a piece of kit that's actually pretty pricey, and it's something that we want to be able to have at our facility that can be utilised by a lot of people. And do you see yourselves as being the only one in New Zealand, or is it one that you see where that actually um, Auckland has one as well for the for for like Auckland um, for the uh, for the Warriors for uh, the netball teams up there. Uh, there's another one in, in there's another one in Hamilton, another one down in, in Christchurch, another one in uh, in yeah. Dunedin. Or do you see yourself as being sort of the only one in, in New Zealand? Well, I think there's uh, there's there's a couple of ways in which that could go for sure. Well, actually, there's three ways. One one nothing happens, nothing changes is, is number one. But and then number we go two, to bust and we and we have no sport. Yeah, um, yeah. Number number two, I think, is uh, the attitude where yeah, this could be replicated potentially around around New Zealand, and, and that would be a, a great thing for local communities as well. Um, I don't know that because of some of the limitations around land and resource and uh, collaboration, whether those things will happen. It's it's they're not a straightforward jigsaw to put together. But I think there was an article written on staff earlier in the week around the mega franchise concept, which I think can work. And that would be the idea where, like like in Europe, you might have a rugby club that also has a water polo team, or you might have a uh, the the netball franchise as the AFL team in Australia. They come together, and and that sort of thing. Like yeah, I can see happening. And I'd be stoked if some of the things we're introducing here could act as a blueprint or some learnings uh, for that to be a vehicle for, the, for other people to take that forward. That'd be great. Um, but yeah, we, we're certainly playing it down the middle. We, we want to partner and, and collaborate with as many people as we can. We're, we're not looking to compete. Um, and we do think this is a, a pretty unique opportunity within New Zealand that hopefully will attract a global audience. Yeah, the problem with that, uh, the, the, the mega franchise thing is up in Europe, um, the, the, the governing bodies don't own the teams or have or really, whereas down here, New Zealand yeah. rugby still owns over 50% of every franchise. So, yep. so, so they end up having, so they have the controlling vote. Um, yep. It's very difficult to, and I think it's probably something similar in netball, but I'm not, but I'm not sure, but um, it's, it's very difficult to, to have a mega franchise if you can't actually own the franchise. Um, so yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's going to require a mind shift by some of the sporting bodies down here um, around. Like that. I think you hit on the right control. point. It's it's where if there's a will, there's a way. Yes. <laughs> so so I think um, yeah, you're right. Those, those hurdles aren't aren't um, minuscule. There are things that need to be jumped over. But I yeah, I, I would like to think that the conversations are at least uh, on the table. Yep, and at least starting it. And, and yeah, I mean, FC Barcelona is another famous one. Yeah, the basketball team, and we have all those leagues here. I mean, we have a professional or a semi-professional basketball team. We have a semi-professional um, netball. We have all the leagues here. It's just a matter of uh, yeah, as you say, getting them all to play, um, and also not only do you have the synergy across uh, across the um, HR and stuff, but also marketing. And also, as a if we change the Chiefs to be called um, the I've gone blank now as to which is the netball team in in, in um, Magic, in, uh, they have plenty. Um, but the Magic. So yeah, maybe we have the, if they have the same name. Will fans become fans of the Magic five yeah. different teams? Um, Rather than just one, which I think could be a, yeah, there's, there's there's room for collaboration, whereas I think a lot of people at the moment are still competing. Um, yeah, out there. Yeah. No, look, I, yeah, I, I agree, mate. I think it's a conversation that's not without its hurdles, but yeah, got got to have it. So, um, the the date I see is uh, the twenty twenty one. So, that's um, that's only six months away now. Then for you yeah. to uh, for, for you to open is that is. Uh, well, 2021 could be 18 months away yet. Well, true. If, if, <laughs> <laughs> but mate, look, we we were we were initially aiming at March, uh, so quarter one of next year. Um, that was our, our original timeline. Uh, it's all obviously pending getting the funding back in line, which we're we're confident we can do. Um, and then at that point for, forward, we've probably got about a 15 month runway um, would be realistic. But I know how Malcolm operates, and the, if it can happen faster, it will. So. Um, uh, it's exciting, mate, and it's uh, again we 
we want to do this right. We're not going to compromise on on quality if we, if we can't get the level of funding that we need uh, in in one go. We're not going to go back and say this is not a world class facility. It, it has to be. It has to be unique. It has to be fit for purpose. Um, if you ask me, Archimedes, give me one job, and that is to make it fit for purpose. So I'll I'll do that. Um, and yeah, like I say, we're we're super excited getting great support from uh, from every every sector, whether it's education or sport. But it's also a thing that you can build modularly, right? You, you, so you can put, you can start putting in some of the recovery pieces with maybe finding the, the, the gym is too expensive. So you, you can bring in like a float tank company, um, for example, yeah. and give, give them some, a, a piece of, uh, or a, a home uh, and, and put those pieces together. It doesn't have to be a buy all in, uh, it doesn't have to be a big bang um, approach. To a either. point. Yeah, to a point, because we're repurposing part of the original campus for a lot of the administration and change rooms and things like that. But the actual sports hub is a completely new build. Right. So the the, the gym, the uh, 70 by 50 metre indoor green green room or training space, the recovery facilities are all very bespoke. So an example where you could modulise it would be uh, the new accommodation, as an example. Or in the retrofit building or the repurposed building, we might start by building four change rooms rather than eight. Uh, yeah, that, that sort of thing. So it's the benefit, I guess, is that uh, Malcolm's very good at as well as uh, getting people in, in areas around him that have a very specific skill set. And so he's, uh, I, I rely on him hugely in what you're talking about and how do we make this commercially viable. And likewise, he's putting a lot of trust in me and making sure it's, uh, it's fit for purpose. Um, brilliant. Uh, it's been absolutely fascinating. Um, Talking with you uh, around the, all, all those all those pieces, um, and we've already oh, oh the, the final piece. So during during um, COVID, um, obviously you, you 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 sat down, but you also put yourself forward to help with the um, we are Matariki. Oh, sorry, we, sorry, we are Manek, Man, Manaki. Um, sorry, being English and being dyslexic, I find uh, Mary words and specific words very difficult. I do try though, folks. Um, uh, um, volunteering your time to help other people uh, set up their small SMEs as well, haven't you? Yeah, look, it's something that came across my radar looking at um, Andy Hamilton, who's involved, been involved with Ice House before and uh, watching and seeing how that was sort of evolving. Um, Artie Savio put his name to it and seeing some of what they were trying to achieve there. And it resonated with me around small business and, and particularly where I, I still am and, and where I come from with setting up uh, BX Sport and, and Accelerate. Some of the challenges back then that I faced, and I would have loved to have knocked on someone's door at the time and thought, well, what do you know? Like, there's no point reinventing the wheel. What, what, what's the best way to do this and taking people's advice on it? And I think COVID was a real catalyst for that to try and reach out to people that were struggling to either sustain their business or pivot and change what they were, what they were delivering. Uh, and so it wasn't didn't take a great deal of thought that when uh, the opportunity came up to work with Monarchy on that, that uh, yeah, I'd, I'd offer some time, and and, and realistically, it, uh, people go on the website, they ask questions in streams, and I'm, I've been appointed to a couple of different streams around uh, technology and wellness, um, some of my skill sets, and and when that question comes across my desk, you might have uh, four, five, six different experts jump on there and put some feedback in and and start that conversation, and I think for the people asking the questions, that the responses they some will be with a grain of salt and some will be that's a great idea and some they'll park and that's 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 cool it's it's actually just trying to filter out um how we can help and it, yeah it's really cool that andy and his team at monarchy are, are doing such a great job and and getting a, a huge hit rate and, and lots of questions coming in which is which is cool yeah I've, I've asked a couple of questions there and uh, the responses have been um yep yeah, you're not you're unlikely to get funding in that space paul um so unfortunately which is, <laughs> hasn't been particularly helpful oh, well it has been helpful in letting me know that, uh, that that actually i shouldn't spend too much time and effort trying to get something when it's uh, when it's unlikely to to uh, uh, to eventuate but uh, but um but yeah no great little resource uh, if you are yeah uh, um if, if you're an sme and looking to uh, uh looking for a little bit of help yeah um thank you very much um jamie for your time it has been an absolute um, an absolute pleasure um everybody Please do like the Facebook page. Also, uh, check out New Zealand Sports Radio. Uh, you, can, you can listen to us on the go on your, all your favourite podcatchers on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, Acast, and all of those wonderful places. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 